All right, please grab your Bibles and go with me to Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. Now, the focus of our attention is actually going to be verse 2, but just reading verse 2 without getting kind of what we're in here. So here in the Hebrew writer, we're now beginning to have a conversation about, well, now Jesus is the focus. We've had this cloud of witnesses, which we're going to read about. Now our focus is going to be Jesus. And I'm going to take our attention and put it on verse 2, but let's start in verse 1. Therefore, since we have so great a crowd of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and sin which easily entangles us. Let us run with endurance the race set before us. Then it gives us how do you do this. Fixing your eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of faith, for whom the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat, at the right, sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. And that's what we're going to look at this evening. So as Paul has said, Lord, we ask that your word would go forth, accomplish what you have purpose for us. We've come to hear from you about our lives and walking with you. Teach us your ways, O God. Command the blessing on your word. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, amen. All right. Hebrews 12, 2, looking to Jesus. That's kind of how I have it, even though it's fix your eyes on Jesus. Let's just kind of break it apart. The word fix or look is really interesting, just to kind of give you an idea. Now, what the Bible is going to do here is it's going to begin to say, really, after you come to Christ, how should you walk? How should you walk with God? And it actually says looking to Jesus or fixing your eyes on Jesus. The two Greek words that are actually used here, the first one is what is called a negation of a Greek word, and it actually means to be pulled away from every other focal point, the idea of fixing or looking. It means to be, don't put your attention on anything else, to be pulled or be brought away from something and only let your attention, your focus, and your gaze be upon whatever the subject is. In this place, it's Jesus. So now it's beginning to use Jesus as the focal point of the Christian experience. And this interesting about this Greek word is it means you have to intentionally let go of everything else being the focal point. You have to be intentional about God and focusing on Jesus. Now there's a reason why, I don't know if you guys ever do this, when I first came to the Lord I was fascinated by Jesus and then I spent a lot of time looking at Old Testament prophets and people like that. In all our studies, all we're doing is learning to get a better picture of how to look at Jesus properly. He is what the New Testament uses as, if I could say this properly, the prototype. And so here it's now saying, look to him. Fix your eyes on him. Now, interesting enough, this eyes, fix your eyes on Jesus or, or, or um, look at Jesus, it means to turn away, but when it says your eyes, this is really interesting. I found this fascinating. Uh, the word for eyes here doesn't mean physical sight. It means spiritual vision. Now, I always wonder, when I'm always looking at the Greek New Testament, I'm asking a question. Why, when we translate it, do we uh, water it down to its lowest translation? This is actually kind of watered down. If I say, fix your eyes on Jesus, it sounds like, oh, that means somehow... Either if I'm, if I'm in the Orthodox Church, I put an icon in front of me and I stare at it, or I think about the Bible. And it's not saying think about the Bible or look at an icon. It's saying close your eyes and get a vision of Jesus. That's actually the Greek term that's being used here. Now, why is it so important that I actually take time and begin to tell you that? 
Because this is what Jesus modeled in his earthly ministry, John 5.19. I only do what I see the Father doing. And so Jesus began to describe a life in the kingdom of God that's available to all of us. And if you guys are like I am, there's always this group that believes, well, I get to have these experiences, and the rest of us assume, well, that's not for all of us. This passage is trying to deal with, for every believer, you have been called to fix and get a vision of Jesus in your life. Now, that's different than just studying the Bible about Jesus. This is talking about an encounter with Jesus. So how are you supposed to be enduring? What are we supposed to be getting from this? Why do we need to actually have this? Now, I think the Bible is actually coming to you and I and saying something to you to hear. If the Bible is saying, fix your eyes on Jesus, and this is a word for spiritual visions, then that must be telling us that the grace of God is telling you this is available to you. It isn't available for the people that pursue. This is, um, if we can put it in the right category, this is normal Christianity. Now, what happens when we live in a culture that doesn't function in normal Christianity? We actually believe that subnormal Christianity is normal because that's what everybody's doing. But that's not what the scripture is calling us to here. It's saying this is your, now this is what it means to actually walk with God. You have to actually have a vision of Jesus in your life. Um, at a certain point in my Christian experience, I remember someone hands me this book called The Vision of Jesus. Right? And it was just a history of everybody that had an encounter with Jesus through church history up until the modern day. And one, I didn't realize how common it was. And two, I thought like maybe three or four important people, but literally in every generation you have people that have the Lord actually given them a vision. And from that, Christ forms himself in you and launches you into whatever he wants you to do. Oh, hey, thanks, Bob. <laughs> now think about that. If you don't have this, you, you can only get it for Jesus. And so he's saying, this is what I have provided for you. I'm not just a good Bible study. I'm a great encounter. Amen. Oh, hey, five of you. That's awesome. We're, we're getting there. So when it says look to him, it's actually saying, look, you can't get visions from anybody else. Don't put your attention on them because they're not the author and the perfecter of your salvation. Only one person can appear to you. He's willing to do it, and he's actually willing to do something from the response of him appearing to you. Now, think about what I'm actually telling you. Because most places you go in Christianity, they're not telling you, hey, you know, it's really kind of important that Jesus actually appears to you. Right? We say, well, we need to get saved, and somehow that works. But I'm actually saying, no, and the New Testament is saying, no, let's not water it down and make it weak. Let's just put it where it's actually at. Jesus is supposed to appear to you and be your Lord, and you're supposed to draw life from making himself known to you and live out of that. Um, Cliff and I were having this talk. It was kind of funny. We've been thinking about this for years, and we're always asking, why is this never presented in the body of Christ? New Testament Christianity is revelatory-based, which means... God has to make himself known to you in every season of your life and reveal himself to you, or you cannot grow into becoming what you're supposed to be. That's right. Wow, thanks, Bob. You and I are like, uh, and these are Bob's notes. That's why he's enjoying it so much, as he gave this to me before we started. Yeah, <laughs> so, all right, so look at this. I'm to actually have a vision of Jesus, and then it describes what I get from this. He's the founder and the perfecter of my faith. Well, what do we mean, founder? Now, Again, uh, I think when we look at words from different languages and we have an assumption from it, we think, that, oh, this means he started the Christian religion, which, you know, if you guys know historically, Jesus didn't start a religion. 
Uh, he came in in the time of Israel, and then he proclaimed the kingdom of God. He wasn't about starting denominations and all that fun stuff we do. So when it uses the word founder here, it's interesting. It means um, a pioneer. So we, it literally could be translated, Jesus is the pioneer and the perfecter of your faith. Now, what does a pioneer do? Why do I have to have vision of Jesus in my life? Because a pioneer goes ahead of you, calls you to something, and then gives you the steps on how to get you there, and that's what Jesus is supposed to be in your life. Do you know how wrong it is to have a natural leader be the, the person that leads you instead of Jesus leading you? Think about, think about this weird concept. I actually say it when I study the New Testament. The Bible actually believes that Jesus is actually alive, and that he can communicate with his people. So he's actually the leader of the church, and we come together and hear from him, and then we talk with each other about it. Well, what is Jesus telling you? Well, you ought to probably go do that. Now, do you know how hard it is where I have to hear Jesus for you and say, maybe you ought to obey Jesus? People can go, oh, well, that's just, you can always negate it when it's a person. But when Jesus is telling you this stuff, it's kind of hard to go, yeah, I don't think I'm going to do that. Have you guys found that to be true? And so here the Bible is saying, well, what's the purpose of having vision from Jesus? Why do you need to actually fix your eyes on him? Because he's, the, he's going to pioneer your walk with him. He's going to be the one that does it. And then it says uh, he's not only the founder or the pioneer of it, he's the perfecter. Now, what is a perfecter? It's interesting. It means it's a consummator. It means someone who actually brings the process to the finish. So it is actually saying that your ability to sustain your walk into eternity comes from Jesus. He's the sustainer of you. Now, I don't know if you guys are like I am. How many of you get weary because of living in a fallen world? So Paula. Oh, okay, so some of the other guys said. In our weariness... Think about what you look to as a resource. As she was giving you a rock illustration, you guys were trying to figure out. Let's add another one to that. When life gets tough, what do you turn to for relief? So this is interesting. If Jesus is the one that saved you, he's the one that actually gives you life. He pioneers you in your life. Wouldn't he also be the person that when it's the toughest, he's actually there to be the sustainer or the one that takes you through the process to bring you to completion? And most people have this really kind of weird view about trials, like it's God's intention to just beat the living tar out of you and go, how did you like that? <laughs> I don't think Jesus has to enter into any of our trials. Seriously, I think we create enough messes as it is. It, it, Jesus can just enter into them with us. And I don't think every trial is just to learn something. I think sometimes the idea of just Jesus being with us in the middle of us is all we really need to learn from it because he's the one that can actually sustain us better than alcohol, friendship, binging on uh, Hallmark, whatever it is we go to. <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry, I shouldn't have said that. What am I thinking? Yeah. And so here, when he talks about being the perfecter, he's actually saying at the dip, most difficult time in life, what is Jesus to you? He's not the one that just brings you a sense of joy. He's the one that actually perfects you throughout life. Um, I talk about this. I don't know if you guys ever see this. It, it might not just be in the world, but I, I watch the body of Christ. I, I've been given an opportunity to watch the body of Christ. And I watch people go through different seasons with the Lord where they just get, they get tired of them. 
And it's not because of something he does. They just assume things. Like, why, not, why don't you make people grow up more? Have you guys ever done that? And you kind of get your eyes off Jesus, and you start looking at the sheep, and you're like, All right, is this how well you do your shepherding ministry? Or none of us are doing anything. Do you guys ever do that? Do you ever take your eyes off Jesus and focus on something else? The minute you take your eyes off the resource of life and focus on something else, you enter into something that your soul wasn't actually created to be in. You are never to view other people or situations and, and decide what the Lord's doing in your life by what other people are going through. You're to, with an aggressiveness, focus on Jesus because he can, is the one that can sustain you when nothing else can. Oh, hey, thanks, Bob. Well, these are your notes, like I said, so let's keep moving on. So here we have, right here we could probably stop it and say, so what have we learned? We've learned that we're to actually in, intentionally not focus on anything else except Jesus and get a vision of him. The reason why we do that is because he's our pioneer in our life to lead us, and he's the one that actually perfects us or takes us through the process of actually sustaining us. Now, that would be good enough, but the passage, he keeps going on and says, well, that's the beginning of it. What's, what are we really getting out of this? And it says, for, for uh, sorry, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. Now, how many of you have read that and thought, I have no idea what they're talking about here. Okay, great. Ben, thank you. The joy set before him, he endured the cross. Now, have any of you ever studied joy? I, asked, uh, I went around my household when I was writing this, and I said, tell me what the definition of joy was. And it was kind of fun listening to everybody describe it. Because people say, well, you're, you're happy, but it has nothing to do with your circumstances. That's how most people translate joy. Well, that, that doesn't mean any. That's not, the tra that's not what tr joy actually means. If you don't understand this, this passage actually means nothing to you. So what does it mean? The joy set before him, he endured the cross. Okay, so I think the worst thing you can know is the day you're going to die and how someone's going to kill you. I think that's pretty intense. So how are you? Yeah! I mean, I, I don't know. <laughs> how many of you, the day, now just kind of enter into this with me. How would you like to know tomorrow a group of people are going to nail you to a board until you die? And you know it. Would you be sitting in a cell? Yeah, woo, I can't wait. <laughs> so is that what it means? He had joy, he's just like, ah, I'm just, I know who I am. So everyone thinks, oh, it's his identity. Because he knew his identity, he can endure that. No, that's not what it is. This is interesting. For the joy that was set before him. Well, what joy was set before him? Let's, let's look at it, the word joy here. Now, the simple translation of joy means to extend favor or lean towards something with favor. But if we, if we only take the simple translation, we're going to miss what the passage is saying here. It actually, the fullness of it means this, grace recognized. So it could, I could translate it this way. Because Jesus recognized God's grace, he actually recognized it, he could go to the cross. Well, what does that mean, grace recognized? You have grace around you all the time, but it doesn't mean you recognize it. It's not so tangible that it sustains you. It's actually saying this thing that Jesus called the joy of going to the cross meant God released his power upon Jesus in such a way that it lifted him above the highest thing that man has to face, being killed intentionally, and that sustained him. That's why he could go to the cross, and that's why it was joy. It was grace recognized. Now, Jesus, see what he's doing? He's taking the hardest thing you can face and saying, this is why you should put your attention on him. 
Because through him, you can tap into that grace that was recognized so that he could go to the cross to go through anything that you go through in life. That can be given to you. And so, do you guys ever hear ministers stand up and say, trials are a blast if you understand them properly. They're a nightmare if you don't understand them properly. Trials in and of themselves are just, who wants to go through them? Well, these two don't. The rest of you just kind of looked at me when I said that. So the sense of a trial is not, I hate them just as much as you guys do. I barely ache through them and complain and everything. And why do I do that? I'm trying to find what? Grace. Recognized in my life. The sustaining power of God's love that lifts me above every circumstances and sustains me so that not only do I meet it, I go through it, and on the other end, that I can declare because of Jesus, I'm victorious through it. And he's saying, now, you can only get this from one person. Now, are you guys like me? So I don't recognize that, so I go to every other resource trying to sustain myself through a trial. I told you Netflix or alcohol or whatever it is. And if you don't go down that route, then you try to get around people and you try to draw from them only something that Jesus can give you. And so, you know, it's good for us to be around each other, but when we're going through the difficult things in life, it's saying, well, help each other connect with Jesus. He's the only one that can transform you. He's the only one that can get you there. And he's the only one that lets you really understand what joy is in life. He's the one. He's the one. I don't know. I think that's good. Let's move on. So he says this, for the joy set before him, endure the cross. I think, let's take that word endure and just look at it here. It actually means a uniqueness of God's power through a difficult time. He endured the cross because of this grace that he actually experienced, this grace that he recognized. It actually gave the, the whole idea of grace recognized isn't just you know something, it's actually the power of God enters into your soul and lifts you until you're through the process of it. So it's, a, it's recognized continually. Now, there are passages in the New Testament that I kind of look at and I, and I sit around and I think about them and I'm like, I don't understand that. I mean, I understand the words that are being said, but I don't understand that in reality or experience. One of them is when Jesus kind of points at you and I and he says, hey, you know, inside of you are rivers of living water. And so how many of you are sitting there trying to figure out, how do I get the rivers? I feel like I'm at a stale embankment where it's filthy water all the time. Do you guys ever like, so I don't understand this thing of how does living water flow through me? Well, in a sense, Jesus is presenting this to us. When you look at him, you don't have to try to get living water to flow through you. You look at him, he releases living water in you. He's the, the focal point of this thing. And so this idea of enduring means that you, you, have a, you have grace recognized. That's what joy actually is. And then it sustains you through the whole entire process. Have you guys ever watched some of those believers that are going through a really difficult time? And you kind of look at them like, why aren't you depressed? Like, I'm always depressed when I go through this stuff. <laughs> and, and then we try to say things to each other to, like, get grace to come out of them. Like, I don't like you having grace. I, I don't understand how you found the secret and I can't find it. Have you guys ever been in those groups like and so then we we're on each other's back like you're in denial if you're not in stress and having ulcers like I am you're not a true believer and you're not being responsible <laughs> but in what Jesus can give us can he actually lift can we actually go through a difficult time 
and actually have joy in the middle of it and, and people not accuse us of being immature or not being responsible. He's using now the, the parable of the cross. The cross was the, the worst thing that could happen and Jesus had joy in the middle of it. So what can Jesus give you in the worst situation in life? The ability to walk through it. And it doesn't mean you're being immature. Can you imagine accusing Jesus of that? So Jesus is like, okay, I'm ready to go to the cross. Well, you're, you're being irresponsible. Who says those kind of things? <laughs> so fun to look at your guys' face. So let's keep going on. <laughs> so the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. And look at this. It says he despised the shame. Well, what does that mean, despising the shame? Uh, this is interesting. It means to not give an active participation in something. So isn't that interesting? When God lets you have grace sustain you, you do not actively have to enter into the bad things that are happening to you. You don't have to look at them as though they have value because they don't have value. Now, here's the thing about humanity that's really fascinating. Have you ever noticed that uh, we, we don't like good news, we actually like bad news? We focus our attention on bad news and we wallow in bad news and we talk about how awful everybody is. But if something good happens to somebody, we just say, oh, isn't that nice? Let's move on to bad news. <laughs> Have you noticed that? Right, there, and guys, there, there really is an effect of bad things that happen to people. You have a bad thing happen, it can chase you for the next 20 years of your life. You have a good thing happen, you don't even remember it. You know, a good thing happened to me last week. Well, oh, yeah, well, I expect good things. Bad thing happens. I'm, I'm distraught by it, and I have to go through counseling for the next 30 years because bad, that's just what our attention on is bad. It's part of the fall. This is what happened. Well, here, so Jesus is now saying, well, here's this reality in the kingdom of God. It's kind of fascinating. God gives you joy, this grace recognized. Not only does it lift you above the circumstances, it gives you the ability to not enter into it and feel like you have to carry it like everyone else is carrying it. The, the, the love of God or the grace of the joy of the Lord that he actually gives you, the reason why it's your strength, and it has a dual purpose. It has an ability to lift you above it, for one, and it has an ability that you don't have to enter into it in any emotional way to feel like you're following the Lord. You don't have to give in to shame or guilt or condemnation or any of those things. That is not your inheritance. Your inheritance in Christ is to be lifted above it. That's what joy is. And, this, and because we only get it from Jesus, he's saying, well, recognize this. Don't, don't, don't just say, well, Jesus and 20 other, 20 other counselors and stuff like that. He's saying, okay, all those things are to point you back to Jesus so that you connect with him properly because he's the only one that can do this for you. I think, I think that's refreshing to recognize. Let's, let's finish it up and then pray for each other. Despised in the shame. And then it says, and he was seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Um, the, it, when you look at it, it says seated at the right hand. This sounds like a past tense. Greek New Testament, it actually could be what's called actively sitting on the throne of God. Well, why, why do we need to give a distinction? So Jesus has to face the worst thing. He models God can actually give you grace that actually gives you joy to go past it. You can actually look at the thing that everybody thinks is tied with shame or condemnation and actually not give in to that. So that's victory in and of itself. And then Jesus is doing all that, and God raises him up. Now think about this. It says that he's seated. It sounds like it's done, but it actually should be he's seating, seating 
continually sitting on the throne of God. What does that mean in, in light of this? He's telling this, this is your benefit, so why do we need to know Jesus is actively sitting on the throne of God? Because in the Bible, the Bible is trying to point to you, well, where are you actively sitting right now? So the very thing that Jesus went through is yours also, the joy of the Lord, the ability not to fall into this stuff and to be actively seating in a place of authority, not to be overcome by any of these things. Uh, when Jesus says that he's called you to be overcomer, do you guys ever sit around and wrestle with that? I'm, uh, now think about it. We walk through life and we think that's just a, something I say about myself. Well, I'm an overcomer. I don't feel over, like I'm an overcomer and I'm mostly defeated in every area of my life, but Jesus says I'm an overcomer, so even though any, everything in my life doesn't look that way, I'm just going to say that. That's not what he's looking for. He's saying there's something about knowing him and connecting with him that you're going to literally become an overcomer. Now, what does it mean to be actively sitting on the throne of grace? It means everything doesn't have authority. That's the highest level of authority in the universe, and that's where you're at. So you're not under anything. You're over everything. I like that. Thank you, Bob. So where are we coming? Jesus has given you an invitation. Come back to what is simple instead of what we turn to make hard. It, have you guys noticed this about your walk? I do this all the time. I wish I'd quit it, to be honest with you. I take something that Jesus says simply, and I try to make it complicated. Are you guys like this? So the whole, my whole Bible college experience was Jesus says, now pray, and we have to study it in Greek for three weeks, exegetus, and then say, are we going to actually obey that? It's like we have to... We have to get degrees to figure out if we're going to obey the simple things that Jesus tells us to do. That's complicating something that's simple. Here's a simple concept. Fix your eyes on him. Get a vision of Jesus. Let him pioneer you constantly, lead you. He's going to give you something in that reality that you can't get anywhere else. And it's going to be a joy to endure. And you're going to recognize that you've overcome everything just like Jesus has. Yeah, two people. Thank you. And thanks for giving me your notes on this, guys. I appreciate it. So <laughs> let's pray for you on this, okay? So, Lord, as we begin this year, uh, as we've talked about it, um, I don't want just a New Year's resolution. I want the simplicity of the gospel. And it's amazing how our attention can be pulled so many directions, Lord. Help us. Let, this, let us understand what they're saying here in Hebrews. Give us the ability to focus on you. You really are the answer to this stuff. You really are. And it's like we get life from you. And so what I want to do here this evening for my brothers and sisters is I just am going to pray a simple prayer for us. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I break the power of everything that steals your vision away from Jesus. I take the power of evil... I take the power of things that seem like they're good, but they're not, and I take away false reservoirs to refresh you, and I break the power of those right now. And I ask, Lord, that you would open them up inside their soul, bring a restoration to look at you. Restore vision to us, Lord. Pour joy inside of us and sustain us. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, Amen. Um, yeah, what's your name? Yeah. Macy, would you mind? Can I pray a blessing over you? Would that be okay?
Do you mind standing for a sec? Okay. Holy Spirit, come uh, release your power and your presence over your daughter. Hey, Macy, the Lord wanted me to just encourage you. You're in a season right now of the mercy of the Lord. And some stuff in your background the Lord is wanting to actually come to and show you his goodness. And so I want to encourage you. The healing presence of the Lord is on you in this season of your life. And it's intentional by the Lord. He's going to take what is, is seemed to be a defeat and he's going to turn it into a victory in your life. And you're going to recognize as you walk into the future this statement. I'm going to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. God is determined to bless you. And so can we just uh, come into agreement with that? So for your daughter, Lord, we, we just say yes to that, that wholeness. We say yes to your goodness. Let her recognize the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. And we command the Father's blessing on her right now. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, amen. Thank you. All right, uh, guys, I'm gonna, do you need to say something? I'm going to pronounce the blessing of the Lord on you. Do you need to share anything? Okay, let me go ahead and pronounce the blessing of the Lord, and then Paula will come up and take over. You guys ready? Receive the blessing of the Lord, please. Lord, come. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord's face shine upon you, be gracious to you, and give you rest. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen.